What's love got to do? Got to do with it. It's tough not to say that question to the rhythm of the song that I'm guessing is in your head right now. Well, that's also the title of the series of conversations Rasul Berry will be leading with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day on this Discover the Word podcast. Because when you read the Bible and ask, what's love got to do with it? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. I think the answer to that question is kind of like everything as far as it relates to the gospel. Love is the central theme, not just of the gospel but really of the whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And so join the group as Rasul leads them through some passages of Scripture that confirm that when it comes to following Jesus, love has everything to do with it. Discover the Word with us next. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Great to have you at the table with Rasul and Elisa and Bill and Daniel. Rasul is the newest member of the group, and he's been splitting time with Mark Dehan recently. And it's great to have Rasul as part of the Discover the Word group and working with us in other capacities as well here at Our Daily Bread Ministries. And as I mentioned, Rasul is going to be leading the conversations in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast as we explore sections of Scripture that demonstrate that love is an essential attribute of God and really the central theme of the gospel. But uh, unfortunately, many people don't think of love when they think about God or when they envision followers of Christ. And so I think that's why this next hour is going to be so helpful for us to kind of go back to the foundation and ask, what does love have to do with it? So uh, go ahead and pull your chair up to the table and let's join the group as they get this study started. I don't know if you remember, it's been a while, but a couple of decades ago, uh, there was a song that came out called What's Love Got mm-hmm. to Do With It? Y'all remember that? Is it Tina, Tina Turner? Turner? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. And the funny thing, even though it came out when I was like a kid, I always thought it was such a provocative question. You know, mm. it really gets to the heart of the importance of love. Yeah. Mm. And it's interesting because in the lyric of the song, if you get a little deeper into it, she sings, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Wow. So this is a song that's being sung out of the pain of the yes. loss of love. Right. I yeah. got to say, I never heard that. All I do is just kind of drive along to it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I don't know that I've actually listened yeah. deeply to the lyrics. Yeah. yeah, but I think the answer to that question is kind of like everything as far as it relates to the gospel. Love is the central theme, not just of the gospel, but really of the whole story of God from Genesis to Revelation. God's unconditional love we see as the impetus for creation, for redemption, and Mm -hmm. restoration. God's love is a fundamental principle for how he introduces himself. So throughout this conversation, we're going to look at different elements. And the first one we're going to look at is the relationship of God the Father and the Son as it relates to love. Have you ever been told that you do something just like your father or your mother? I've been told by people who knew him that I look like my dad. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I mean, I've seen the pictures and I don't think I look anything like him. I think my brother looks like him. Mm. Okay. And he probably says the same thing about me. But other people <laughs> see something. Though. Other yeah. people see something yeah. that I don't see. Yeah. I think for me, it's been scarier. The older I get, the more I interact with my kids and others realizing what I'm doing is like my dad. Like the insurance commercials. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and then I'll find myself say something to my kids and I'm like, where did I get that? That's what my dad used to say. (laughs) Anyway, so. Yeah, yeah. have you ever also had the weird experience of correcting your child for the same thing that they got from you? And then, you know, somebody brings that up. Like, uh, what are you talking about? Where do you think they got that from? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Ironically, and I kind of spent most of my life not wanting to be like my parents. But, you know, it's interesting. Both of them were in broadcasting. And it hit me. I don't know, 20 years after I'd started in radio (laughs) and media and stuff. Oh, my goodness, both my parents were. Oh, I didn't even notice that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, they were in it a long time. And I've been in it a Mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just fascinating how that works. So I I think it makes sense for us to start when we look at this aspect of what's love got to do with it. What's love got to do with God? Mm -hmm. And this passage, 1 John 4, 7 through 21, really, but we'll just look at uh, 7 through 12, really answers that question in some pretty foundational ways. 
So if we can go to First John 4, 7 through 12, and I guess we could just each read a couple verses. Okay. Yep. Could you start? Yeah, sure. I'll start. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Hmm. Okay, so there's a word that kept popping up in there that you might have, you know, heard a few times. But (laughs) one of the things that I think is so fascinating is if we just take a step back before we dive into the meat of the text is just the context, right? Mm -hmm. Like who wrote this? And what do we know about him as it relates to love? Well, John, who is referred to as the beloved disciple yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the disciple jesus loved mm-hmm. yeah and he called himself that yeah yeah so in terms of being like your dad you know mm-hmm. <laughs> he took on that label mm-hmm. yeah and i think some people have felt uncomfortable with him calling himself beloved because they're like well is he like being prideful in that way mm-hmm. or is it on the other side where he's like look my first and foremost identity is as mm-hmm. loved and I've kind of always taken the second part of that. I, yeah. He doesn't say he's the only disciple Jesus loved or yeah. <laughs> he's the disciple Jesus loved most. Right. He just kind of revels in the fact that he's loved. He receives yeah. it. Yeah. 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 And, and this is one of his letters that he wrote. So he wrote uh, the Gospel of John, or at least it's attributed to him, and then this series of letters. And I think it's generally assumed that most of these letters were written while he was not in the place that he thought he would be in a form of exile Mm -hmm. um, on Patmos. Yeah, one of the things that the whole letter is really responding to is trying to get the church back focused on this basic message of love instead of, you know, other things, uh, esoteric knowledge and who knows more or certain types of other issues. And I think still to this day, it can be so easy though the message is basic love that it can kind of get to sidetracked mm-hmm. and other issues become the main thing. And I love the fact that John never got over the fact that Jesus loved him. I think that he wrote beloved disciple because he remembered being the son of thunder. You know, he remembered <laughs> when he was, you know, that nickname came from, you know, Lord, should we rain down fire on our opponents? And Jesus <laughs> saying, no. <laughs> yeah. Not right now. Yeah. Yeah. Rasul, um, let me just ask, you made a comment a second ago and you said that it's real easy for this very simple message about love to get sidetracked and yeah. derailed. Do you think that's because due to the culture that Mm. we live in, that we really don't understand what love is? Mm. I think yes. And one of the challenges in us getting ourselves into this story and even into this passage is the contrast between how we use the word love and the more nuanced approach that we see Mm -hmm. in uh, Greek that they were writing in their concept. So if we go to verse seven and eight, for example, you know, we see, let us love one another for love comes from God. And then he says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And that statement, God is love, that's a big statement, mm-hmm. right? But what does that mean and what doesn't it mean? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> we can kind of introduce some ideas from our cultural context yeah, that has a yeah. different context. So when you see that statement, God is love, what stands out to you about that? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is how love is used in the Old Testament. So this uh, very intrinsic characteristic of who God is, Mm -hmm. is described as in Hebrew, it's chesed, which we've talked about many times on the program, but it's the the loyal, loving faithfulness of God all bound up in the word love. Mm -hmm. So we see it as steadfast love or loyal love. And it's the very motivation, the very characteristic of who God is Mm -hmm. that causes him to fight for those who are oppressed, to pull Mm -hmm. Israel out of slavery, to forgive them when they make mistakes all of that tied up in that idea of love. I think, Bill, and this 
piggybacks on what you just said, Daniel. You've talked about how if people define God with one word, mm-hmm. influences their entire theology. Mm-hmm. And so, Daniel, you just made a great mm-hmm. point, you know, that this steadfastness is at the heart of God. But if we see what John is saying is that God is love, if that's the way we mm-hmm. define him, then it influences all of our theology. And yeah. we look at all of his motivation, all of yeah. his character, all of his acts on behalf of humankind stem from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think... The Old Testament chesed mm-hmm. is the dominant way that God's described in the New Testament. It's agape, mm-hmm. which adds to that faithful, steadfast, trustworthy love. It adds to it the component of self-sacrifice. Yes. Yeah. And in this particular passage, that's the word that John used. And in the Greek, they had several other options. You know, mm-hmm. we see phileo, which is more of a brotherly love. We see eros, which is more of a romantic love. But agape is this selfless, unconditional, you know, love. And this is what John uses to describe God. Now, the cool thing is we don't even have to kind of imagine or kind of project what does that actually look like? Because in the next two verses, he actually gives us a very vivid account of how to understand God's love. Mm -hmm. Can someone read verse nine again for us? It says God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Right. Yeah. It's like Romans 5. God has demonstrated his love for us. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Right. Mm -hmm. Sure. And it goes right on in verse 10. He loved us by sending his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Right. Yeah. And that's a whole lot there because that means that this isn't some mushy sentimentalism Mm -hmm. that doesn't overlook the reality of sin in the world, that this type of love gets its hands dirty Mm -hmm. and really puts itself even in harm's way. Mm -hmm. And then the way it wraps up, since God loved us, we ought to love one another. Yeah. And in fact, he raises the stakes to say, if you don't love others, do you really love God? Mm -hmm. How is that maybe different than the way we normally think about love? Like, oh, I just love God, so I'm good. (laughs) Or I think about it even like how we talk about loving other people, right, in a relationship. It tends to be focused not on self-sacrifice or anything like that, but more on like, do I feel something? Right. You know, am I like, mm-hmm. am I attracted to this person? Is everything easy with them? It's like the opposite of the type yeah. of love that we see here, yeah. right? Like yeah. God's like, not only is it not easy with you humans, but that's how much I love you is I still want mm-hmm. this relationship with you and I'm going to fight for it. Yeah. I think that's why family love is so illustrative about this, you mm-hmm. know, choosing to love our kids no matter what they do yeah. or choosing to stay in relationship with mm-hmm. a sibling or choosing to stay in relationship with a parent when they've disappointed you or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, that's the way we work these things yeah. out. I heard it said one time that most of what we call love is a little more than self-centered infatuation. <laughs> self-centered, <laughs> I thought, well, I like that's that. a little harsh. <laughs> and then the more I thought about it, well, maybe that's it's a not little so harsh revealing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So John wraps this up in a way where, you know, and you talk about children. He says, this is how people can know and understand that God is love. Because if his love lives in us. And so he makes this connection that if we want other people to understand who God is, then it, we have to actually be image bearers of it. And it reminds me of this concept in child psychology called object permanence, Mm -hmm. where when a child is very young, like up to six, seven months, the reason why peekaboo was such a dynamic experience is they think that when they can't see it, it is gone. It doesn't Mm -hmm. exist anymore. And so they go peekaboo and they go, whoa, that's cool. Because they just think you went from (laughs) non-existence to existence. But that game also helps their brain get rewired to go, no, it's still there. The person's still Mm -hmm. there, even when you can't see. And in a sense, the church and those who follow Jesus, we become the ability for people to still see God is present in their lives when we show love for them, Mm. even when they can't see God. And so in that sense, you know, we can say, you know, (laughs) peekaboo. I I see you. Oh, I see God Mm -hmm. because I see God's people loving. Do you ever watch any of those shows where someone gets an extreme makeover, either in their house or themselves or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, I, that's why HG 
TV exists, exactly. right? It's just a show over and over, over and over and again. Over. You know, recently it was really cool because one of their shows is Hometown, where they try to renovate houses in this tiny little town in Mississippi, but they took and redid a whole town. Mm-hmm. Mm. So each episode they had like one civic project and one home mm-hmm. that they did. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you think about making over a whole town, and then when they reveal the whole town, Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I've seen um, other shows where they actually will grab like a woman off the street. Right. It's like a morning mm-hmm. talk show kind of thing. And they bring her in while they're doing the rest of their show for three hours. They make her over. They color her hair. They mm-hmm. cut it. They put a different outfit on. They do makeup, whatever. And so you see her before and after. And it's like, whoa. And I love seeing her eyes yes. light up because she mm-hmm. looks at herself in the mirror. She hasn't seen herself. Mm-hmm. They take her in from the mirror and they kind of unveil, right. reveal. And she's like, whoa, yes. I didn't know I could look like this. Right. And in both of those uh-huh. circumstances, whether it's the house or it's the person, the real hook to why we like these shows so much is that dramatic moment. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about it, it wouldn't have the same punch if they showed it to you from the beginning. Yeah. And said, this is what the end result is going to be. Yeah. So let's show you how we got there. It just wouldn't hit the same. But yeah. there's something about seeing the before and then this moment. Mm-hmm. Move that bus. Or walk on the stage. Yeah. And then it's like, mm-hmm. wow. Yeah. Well, God has a big reveal in scripture that we're going to look at today where he has this encounter with Moses in Exodus chapter 34. And we're going to look at these first seven verses of Exodus 34. And so we can each take a couple verses and kind of look into this big reveal. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. This is take two. Okay. (laughs) And I will write on them the words that are on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in the front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Okay, so as Elisa acknowledged, we have kind of entered into the middle of a story, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So let's kind of catch up and just do a quick update of where we are and what's happened so far in the immediate account mm-hmm. of what's going on here. Well, the children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt where they've been enslaved for four centuries. Mm-hmm. They begin their journey by a couple of days trip from the Red Sea to Sinai where they are, in a sense, reintroduced to their God. Mm -hmm. Uh, After 400 years of being apart, God gives them the Ten Commandments, uh, gives them to Moses. He comes down the mountain to tell the people what's going on, Mm -hmm. and he finds them worshiping a golden calf. And so he smashes those tablets. And now, Elisa, take Take two. two. (laughs) Um, God says, we're going to do this again. And uh, so that kind of gets They get a do-over. Yeah. How Mm -hmm. symbolic, too, right? Like, already these things have been broken. Yeah. And I don't know if it's intended, but I kind of feel like there's a little bit of humor in that first verse of like, okay, go and rewrite what I wrote, what yeah. you broke. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things we know about Moses is that he had breathtaking anger management issues. <laughs> and he was just enraged when he saw this golden calf. Right. And I think probably yeah. it was the true meaning of righteous indignation. He was enraged because they were already breaking the laws that they had agreed Mm -hmm. to keep. It's in this context, right, where they have rebelled, they have fallen short of even what they had just agreed to in the Mm -hmm. covenant that God reveals this. And I think that that context is so important to see that he's upset at Moses for breaking the commandment, you know, like literally Mm -hmm. breaking the commandments (laughs) Um, and the people for worshiping another God. And the response is the big reveal. And you see the setup? Mm -hmm. No one else gets to go. You come up the mountain. Mm -hmm. Sunrise. Mm -hmm. Descending in the cloud. And 
what God reveals about himself. I am compassionate, Mm -hmm. gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And I kind of did some interesting math because at the end when it talks about maintaining love to thousands of generations. So how much is a generation, give or take? 40 years. About 40 years. So a thousand generations would be about 40,000 years. That's a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. So from the time that and he said thousands of generations, but if we just go with 1,000, that time period, it hasn't even mm-hmm. elapsed. Hasn't we even mm-hmm. gotten halfway there from when yeah. Yeah. God revealed this word to Moses? What does that reveal about the nature of who God is, especially in the midst of when we mess up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is one of the passages that a lot of people both love and struggle with because of how it ends. But I think mm-hmm. the way that you're leading us into it is really important because God's love, his compassion lasts to the thousandth generation. The remembrance of sin and brokenness Mm -hmm. only lasts to the third or fourth generation, right? So the point is not the visiting or the remembering of sin. The point is that God's love outlasts Mm -hmm. our sin and brokenness. Mm -hmm. That is so good. Yeah, and I think it's really good that as God reveals himself, he front loads it. Mm-hmm. with love and compassion and mm-hmm. mercy. The other stuff is that yeah. sin will be dealt with yeah. because yes. God must deal with sin. But the big story is, but this is who I am. This is where my heart is. In fact, if he is really loving, he has to deal with yeah. the brokenness in us that messes things up, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that even his love would be, we got to deal with this sin issue, <laughs> right? Yeah. And everyone, yeah. because I want what's best for you. That's right. I want to be in this good relationship with you. So we got to get rid of this stuff that gets in the way That's of right. that. Yeah. In fact, what he, in his description of the context of that love, of maintaining love to thousands of generations, he mentions not letting the guilty go unpunished. Right. Mm-hmm. Because what kind of love would that be yeah. if, you know, yeah. someone is abusive, someone is violent, someone is taking someone's life, and yeah. there's no consequence? That's yeah. not love. That's right. And, I mean, we see it in Hebrews chapter 12 where it talks about a loving parent mm-hmm. disciplines. disciplines their child. Yeah. Right. Well, the implication is the parent who doesn't discipline his child doesn't love them very much. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with that idea... I mean, this shows how much God loves us, that he's willing to discipline us to keep us where he knows it's best for us. Yeah. But again, even if we go to third and fourth generation, if we go 40 years times four, it's 160 years versus 40,000. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's a, you know, huge gap. And I think that that also shows God's posture, you know, toward us. And it reminds me of, you mentioned chesed, you know, Mm -hmm. um, in our previous conversation and that steadfast love, Mm -hmm. that sense of commitment. Mm -hmm. And one verse that really, I think, brings that home is 1 Peter 4, 8. Peter says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Doesn't say the sin isn't there. And I'm thinking about the mathematical (laughs) illustration of Jesus saying, you know, how many times should I forgive my brother? And this mathematical kind of infinity, 70 times seven, you know, that whole thing. It really reflects this heart Mm -hmm. of ongoing, ongoing, beyond our Mm -hmm. understanding. It's interesting to me, and I don't think you want to go here, but when you get into verse 8, Moses' response Mm -hmm. kind of blows me away because here he is furious, and as y'all said, he breaks the commandments himself when he sees the disobedience of the Israelites. And Moses has now listened to God's speech and has seen God, and he responds bowing to the ground, Lord, if I found any favor then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and Mm -hmm. take us as your inheritance. He's now modeling what Mm -hmm. God just told him love looks like. But he's also modeling it by latching onto the love part. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's not that the other part's not there, but he's saying, this is the part we really need. Exactly. And embracing it. I'm going to take the heart of God Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. The only other thing I think, too, that we need to just mention as we're walking through this is when you read this, it could feel unfair, the idea that what the parents do, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. right, that mm-hmm. the kids are held responsible for the parents. But, but I that's think, not what it says. Right. I think what's <laughs> happening here that it's important to realize is that when we do the wrong thing, it affects more than just us, yeah. Yeah. right? And so even our children 
are affected mm-hmm. by the brokenness that mm-hmm. we act in. And so, again, the point is not right. what's happening with the sin. The point is what's happening with God's love that covers over that sin. Yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of see patterns that people right. develop, yeah. and that's the aspect of that sin being visited to the third or fourth generation. But the emphasis here is more of a, a call up than a call out. That's yeah. right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. abide in my love so that you can actually get the fullness. And I think that there's a, a common issue that I know when I became a believer and I would sin and I thought that the thing to do was to kind of have a cool off period where I would just stay away from God for a while and, 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 and so that, you know, he could kind of cool down. And when I read passages like this, That's I realize it's actually the opposite. Yeah. All that had happened in Exodus mm-hmm. 32 and 33, like that's the moment when you lean in and experience mm-hmm. God's love. Mm-hmm. And that's when he gets to reveal himself mm-hmm. as the God who's compassionate and merciful. So God moves the truck and the big reveal mm-hmm. is to show how much he loves us and say, I love you this much. Yeah, leaning into God's love and mercy, that's where we grow and where we find healing. Because he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What's love got to do with it? That's what this study is called as Rasul Berry, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day explore some passages of scripture that reveal that with God, love has everything to do with it. And in the next segment, they're gonna get into one of those goat discussions, you know, a debate about the greatest of all time, because Jesus got into one of those when the Pharisees questioned Jesus about the greatest commandment. What did he say? Well, when we continue, we'll see that the greatest commandment of all time has both a one and a one A. But first, this quick timeout. At Discover the Word, we're always trying to find ways to help you understand how much you are loved by God and how important it is that you represent Him well by loving others. And so as a compliment to this series, we'd like to tell you about a great resource published by Our Daily Bread Publishing called The Love of God by Oswald Chambers. Now, Oswald Chambers is a beloved author. Perhaps you've read his famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. This book is just as rich and just as insightful. Not a book you'll want to blow through quickly. This is one you'll want to take your time with and spend some time pausing and reflecting. This classic is filled with in-depth teaching on the character and loving nature of God. It was first published almost 100 years ago, but there's a reason readers keep returning to this book from generation to generation. And so to order a copy today, visit discovertheword.org It's called The Love of God by Oswald Chambers, and it would be a great follow-up to our study together in this podcast. And now, that conversation about the goat. Mm -hmm. Have you ever gotten into a debate with someone about a person or thing that is the goat? Oh, yeah. And you know who I get into it with? I get into it with one of my grandsons. Me too. Because one of my grandsons is just so absolutely determined that Michael Jordan is the GOAT. Uh And I actually agree with him, Mm -hmm. but it's so fun to argue it. I keep throwing LeBron at him. Uh (laughs) Now, we keep throwing out the term GOAT. Where I come from, that's an animal. (laughs) But, Rasul, in your outline that you gave us ahead of time, it's G period O period A period T. So I think what you're talking about is the greatest of all time. That is Hence correct. the word goat. Yes. <laughs> and in order for us to keep the peace among us, I won't venture into mm-hmm. the typical sports world. Sports world. Yes, thank you. Well, you, you alluded to something. I'm not going to co-sign on that. <laughs> let's, let's go into um, another fair. Yeah. Desserts. Okay. Cakes, cookies, ice cream, or pie. See, already you're showing your bias. Where's cobbler in there? <laughs> or candy. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, you got to be more specific because if you say peach ice cream, I could care less. But if you say chocolate ice cream, I'm all in. Oh, these guys just want to argue. I'm just going to okay. say pie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If you could only have one, you know, for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. If I could only have one, I would have cake with ice cream on it. <laughs> I would have chocolate cream pie. And you know what? I think I would have 
there's a peanut butter cereal that I like, and that would be my <laughs> dessert okay, right, for the rest of my life. Into chaos. Right. <laughs> so, but here's the thing: as evident from this little, you know, failed experiment, we all yes. love to debate about, yeah. and everybody has an opinion about their top ten yeah. list, right? Mm-hmm. And here's the top three of all time. Mm-hmm. But do you think Michael's better than? Oh, come on now. Well. Today, <laughs> we're going to discuss when um, someone asks Jesus about what's the goat commandment or <laughs> the, the most important one of all time and what's love got to do with it. So let's look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-four through 40. Okay. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Okay, so once again, let's set the scene. Jesus has just been challenged in this chapter several times. Mm -hmm. First by the Pharisees, asking, is it right to pay taxes? Mm Mm-hmm. Second, by the Sadducees, challenging him about the resurrection and the belief in it. Mm -hmm. And now, what do we see about the motive behind the expert of the law's question when he asked it, which sets up this whole dialogue? He's wanting to test him. Yeah. Yeah. And we had Randy Richards on Mm -hmm. talking about honor, shame contests. Yeah. Right. right. In the ancient world. And specifically, if you come to someone at night and ask a question, it shows that you truly want to learn from them. But and if, privately. Yeah, and privately. Mm-hmm. But if in the middle of the day with a crowd asking it out loud, you're challenging them. You're putting them up, hopefully, mm-hmm. to bring shame on them because of the way that and they respond. You wouldn't do it unless you thought you were right. Yeah. Right. And I do think it's significant. This is happening in Passion Week. Yeah. And so the tensions are rising by the day. And so this series of questionings, they're, they are desperate to discredit Jesus, right. mm-hmm. absolutely desperate to discredit him. They're all about the commandments. Right. Mm-hmm. And when they say commandments, let's look at the percentages of how easy or difficult it could be to get this wrong, right? So they say, which is the greatest commandment? What are the options here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 613. 613 commandments. And he's asking, which is the greatest? Mm-hmm. So you have a one out of 613 chance that your answer could be discredited and you'd be dishonored. But I love Jesus. He answers anyway. Yeah. yeah. And he gives them two greatest. <laughs> yeah. Here's the greatest and here's the other greatest. Yeah. Some <laughs> might call that now the, the mini goat. Or the, <laughs> the little goat. So let's look at this commandment and see where does Jesus even get this from? Well, it comes from Deuteronomy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not the first time that we see these words in the Bible. No. And so he's pulling back from what you could call kind of a, a preamble to the law of Moses, kind of uh mm-hmm the words that get you ready to hear all the other commandments. Mm-hmm. And it's connected to, I think, the Shema as well, Shema, right? Like yeah. that statement of, hear, O Israel, this is your God, yeah. hear and obey him. And it's loving the Lord your God. And that's the definition of obeying him. The definition mm-hmm. of obeying him mm-hmm. is not necessarily perfectly fulfilling the 613 commandments. The definition of obeying him is to love him with all your heart. Yeah. Do you think this had an extra pow because it is a preamble? to the 613-ish, and maybe a very literal Sadducee or Pharisee would go, well, that's not really one of them. I think that there's definitely, when you look at the whole chapter and see how they challenge him, and they're, as Jesus would say at one point, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Mm -hmm. One, they're not asking out of a sense of genuine knowledge or even respect for him right so love your neighbors yourself they're breaking that law mm-hmm. but then secondly they're not making the main thing the main thing yeah. and that is the source of the tension between jesus and them the entire time so they're not even doing the first one right yeah. and this would have been in the shema the routine and the ritual would have been the faithful jews would have been repeating this twice daily mm-hmm. so this was something that they heard on a regular basis so there's even a critique of that Like, it's on your lips twice a day. How do you Mm -hmm. not know? In Matthew 15, Jesus speaks to a similar crowd to this and says, 
well did Isaiah say of you that you honor me with your lips, but your mm. hearts are mm. far from yeah. me. So they're saying all mm-hmm. the right things, mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. but that's not yeah. a reflection of their actual heart. That's good, Bill. Yeah. The other thing that jumps out to me here is the phrase at the very end, the law and the prophets. Yes. Right. And one of the things that I've been recently learning to pay attention to is whenever we see someone put those together. So the law, the prophets, and then sometimes you'll see the law, the prophets, and the writings. Right. The Old Testament is actually broken up in the Hebrew Bible into three main sections, mm-hmm. um, the Tanakh. And each one of those is just three Hebrew letters, T, N, and K, that stand for those big three sections. And anytime those are referenced in the New Testament, it's often the case mm-hmm. that they're saying like, hey, that whole Old Testament, the whole story yes. is pointing toward this and oftentimes pointing toward Jesus. But in mm-hmm. this case, what Jesus is saying by using that phrase, I think, is like, not only is this the greatest commandment, but this sums up your whole Bible. This sums up the whole story up to this point to love God and to love others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so I want to turn our attention to the second part of this. You know, he says, love the Lord your God. And he says the second is like it, right? So is love God and love your neighbor two commands or one command with a qualification? (laughs) Yeah, is an Oreo one cookie or two? (laughs) I think that they're indivisible in Jesus's mind. I do too. Um, I do too. Yeah. As he presents this, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what if I'm this lawyer who just was sent here to ask this question Mm -hmm. and to try to trap Jesus? And I know my heart and I know my motives and I know what I'm trying to accomplish. And I hear this in response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would have to feel very exposed in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think going back to your point, Daniel, it reveals something even deeper about what Jesus is saying about them misunderstanding the whole story of the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he says yeah. all the law and the prophets hang Almost like a nail. You know what I mean? Isn't that I an interesting on verb? These yeah. Two commandments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That seems to indicate that you're missing the entire boat. You're mm-hmm. missing the whole story. And when you think mm-hmm. about their reaction to Jesus throughout his entire ministry, it reflects that. Mm-hmm. You know, but then it also begs the question for us how can we miss it? You know, mm-hmm. uh, in what ways, when you think about the response, the, the kind of establishment response to Jesus, what were they upset about often? Oh, him hanging out with sinners. Loving. Yeah. 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 Loving people that shouldn't be loved, that were rejected in society. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big part of it because they were not in harmony with how they perceived the law to be. You know, it seems pretty clear that they're threatened Mm -hmm. by him. A lot of times we kind of demonize the Pharisees and maybe they deserve some of that because we say, well, he was a threat to their position and their authority and all that. But there's also a sense in which he was a threat to what they believed was the right path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I think primarily they saw Jesus doing all the stuff that they kept saying wasn't good. But that was an indication that he was trying to steer people to a different path. And that was a threat. Yeah. And I think if you were to ask them, how's Jesus doing on loving God? They would have said he's not loving God. Mm-hmm with all his heart, yeah, soul, mm-hmm. mind, and strength, right? Because yeah. he's obviously breaking these mm-hmm. ways in which we are supposed to love God. And he's keeping not, the Sabbath law yeah. and keeping it holy. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe that's where to your question about when do we miss it? Mm-hmm. I think that's usually when I miss it. Yeah. It's usually when I get caught up on a theological idea and it causes me to judge someone in my church or someone that I see post a article online or something like that. And my immediate response to them is focusing on how wrong they are or wanting to argue with them instead of wanting to find out why they think that or why they believe that. Yeah, Bill, I totally agree that I think we oftentimes separate ourselves too much from the Pharisees and we kind of make them into bad guys in a way that historically Mm. wouldn't have been the case in terms of what they were trying to do yeah. right in terms of trying to stay true to the scriptures and as complex, they understood them as they understood right. and we disconnect ourselves in the sense of i think some of the same pressures yeah. right of seeing people you want to try to be true to god and hold on to the truth but that 
outside of the balance of grace and yeah. understanding that yeah, I have to right. lean into that too. I can end up missing mm-hmm. that aspect. Yeah, and, because here you have these religious leaders who maybe in their hearts felt like we're doing the right thing. Right. Mm-hmm. But when doing the right thing leads you to murdering someone, then it's not the right thing anymore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think this would suggest that to know how to love like God commands, I need to understand the law and the prophets and I need to understand it through that lens. I need to see the Lord as my shepherd who can lead me, you know, by his law. But only when we care about each other as a shepherd cares for sheep can we truly understand what the goat really is. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, we're going to do a little trust exercise today. I'm going to ask you a question. When is a time that you felt vulnerable? Now, I'll start. Okay. Is that is good? That yeah, you go first. So I can recall arriving in my study abroad trip in Cameroon. And uh, while I got there, I, even though I had been judged proficient in French by university standards, I really was not <laughs> conversational at all. And so I get to the airport, I'm in a new country, in a new continent, and I don't really understand the language, and the porters start grabbing for my bags. And I'm kind of like trying to be polite, but I'm like also a little scared, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, they set up the bags and put them in the, in the van, and then they kind of look for money. And I'm like, oh, I thought you were just like airport nice. <laughs> you know, employees. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I only had francs because I was in uh, the airport in France before I got here. So they have to break down the money in their local currency. And I don't know the language. So I give them money. I don't really know what I gave them. They kind of huddled around and maybe argue with each other a little bit or kind of talk. And then they come and give me money I don't understand because I've never (laughs) seen before. And I was like, they took advantage of me. They got me. Mm. You know what I mean? And I felt so vulnerable and helpless in that situation. And it turns out the director said, no, they actually gave you a fair deal. It was fine. Hmm. But I just remember feeling so helpless, you know, Hmm. so. So what you mean by vulnerable are those situations where we feel at risk in some way Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. exposed. Yes. Mm -hmm. So not vulnerable. And let me share you one of my deep struggles. That's up to you. If you, that might be, a, but Go no, ahead, yeah. I'm going to let I'm going to let ahead. Bill do that part. <laughs> yeah, I think what you're describing, I've experienced that a few times, either traveling or even honestly hanging out with Rebecca's, who's my wife, her family for the first time in mm. Florida, because her whole family is Cuban and mm. uh, on that side and. Her grandfather could speak pretty good English, but for the most part, like Spanish is in that home. So there was a lot of me just sitting, (laughs) right, and and listening. And I could understand a little bit of Spanish, but not a lot. I was very well aware that I was uncomfortable, if nothing else, in that setting. I'm going to say becoming a parent. Our children came to us through adoption, but I remember moments when it hit me that it was up to me if they felt hot And I need to take their temperature. And do we go to the doctor or not? Do I call for help? How much medicine do I give? Do I change their diet? All of that responsibility made me feel very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Was I going to get it right? Mm -hmm. When I went to college the second time, it was to Bible college. I'd gone a year and then dropped out. And I went to college. So I was a freshman at age 21. And it was required at the Bible college that you had to take beginning speech. And the first speech was a 90 second speech where you introduced yourself to the class. So, (laughs) and I was just terrified and I waited until the last person. And finally the teacher said, you got to go. And I said, I can't, you got to go. I said, I can't, you got to go. And so finally I went up there and I got about 15 seconds into it and I just broke down and ran out of the room crying. Oh, at 21. Wow. At 21 uh, because I was so petrified Mm -hmm. of standing in front of those people and talking. Mm. Wow. And And look what you do now. I know. I know. That's why one of my great heroes in life is Toby Ann Davis because she was my speech teacher. And I was sitting under a tree with my head buried in my lap just weeping, Mm. trying to figure out how I could get a bus to go home that day. And when I finally looked up, Toby Ann was standing there looking at me and she said, we can fix this. Oh, but she worked with me and worked with me and worked with me. But it all started with that moment of Hmm. vulnerability, fear, terror, whatever you want to call it. It was all right there. Yeah. No, thanks so much for sharing. And, you know, I I think 
that public speaking, you know, is a huge mm-hmm. fear. Yeah, that's the number one fear of Americans. Death came in third. <laughs> yeah. Public speaking was first. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So, like Seinfeld said, so people would rather be in their funeral than to speak at it. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. But, you know, those moments, we all know that feeling. It's just like the world is just closing in on us. And so vulnerability can feel like a negative thing. And yet Andy Crouch in his book, Strong and Weak, discusses how vulnerability can actually be a good thing when it's coupled with authority. But when someone lacks both vulnerability and authority, that's what leads to suffering, Mm. you know. So eventually you developed the authority to be able to speak. Eventually I developed the language skill to be able to communicate. So even though I was still vulnerable in another country where they spoke another language, I was able to navigate that with some sense of confidence. Mm. But when someone lacks authority and they're vulnerable, it really leads to suffering. But at the same time, Andy says that those who shield themselves from being vulnerable while still wielding authority, it leads to exploiting other people. So Andy is revealing a biblical truth that God taught the nation of Israel when this question, what's love got to do with it? And it's everything because God shows us what to do when people both are vulnerable and don't have the sense of authority. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 through 19, and we see this play out here. So you can all take a couple verses. I can start. So now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? Only to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his decrees that I am commanding you today for your own well-being. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Does Deuteronomy 10, (laughs) are there any themes here that sound familiar from our previous conversations? Well, yeah, the great commandment is very clear here, but also the second 1B uh, commandment of your neighbors yourself. I mean, again, one of those threads that keeps Mm -hmm. being pulled through the whole story of the Bible. And I think one of the things that really jumps out to me was it's for your own well-being. That hit me too. Yeah, Yeah, we often think of God's commands as if he's just this Mm -hmm. controlling person up there that wants to make things Mm -hmm. happen for himself. Mm -hmm. But God's instruction is because he wants what's best for us too. Mm-hmm. Well, and that goes back to a previous conversation we had as well, because we talked about the fact that the guilty do not go unpunished from Deuteronomy 34. But the reason for that is because God knows what's best for us. Mm-hmm. And so when he says here, this is for your own benefit. It, yeah, this is what's best for you. It's, mm-hmm. it's great for them, but it's best mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I love the kind of rhetorical question that Hebraic kind of concept often because what does the God require of you? Mm-hmm. What does the Lord want from you but to love him? Like he kind of asked this question. But the other part here that's fascinating is that how God demonstrates his authority. Remember, if you think about those poles of authority and vulnerability, how does God demonstrate his authority in this passage? Well, he's the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. And the way he shows that is because... He is the only one that can truly defend the orphan, defend the poor, defend the widow. Mm. So it's like his greatness and his power is shown in the way he takes care of the most vulnerable. Yeah. And it's like, I own it all. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's fascinating here that speaks to, you know, this whole vulnerability thing is how does God make himself vulnerable in this passage? So in verse 15, it says, yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors Mm. and loved them and chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Is setting your affection on someone and loving them, can that put you in a space of being vulnerable? Absolutely. Here's a real life example. You know, Evan and I are sitting on the couch, and this was probably 20 years ago, but I remember we were at a stuck spot 
in our relationship, just stuck. You know, we had kids, blah, blah, blah. And we finally netted it down to this question or this need. I just want you to cherish me. Mm-hmm. And then it was, I just want you to cherish me. Mm-hmm. So who's going to go first? Yeah. That is the story of all of our love relationships. Who's mm-hmm. going to go first? Mm-hmm. And God goes first, yes. you know, and so because he goes first, we can right. go first right. too, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. He yeah. went first so that we have now the capacity to go second yeah. in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then specifically as Daniel mentioned earlier in verse 18 and 19, he talks specifically about what that love looks like, mm-hmm. defending the cause of the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner. Now, this is interesting. Why pick out those groups? Well, yeah. you talked earlier about how when you're vulnerable without authority, yes. you suffer. Mm-hmm. And it looks to me like God is going first again. You know, he is stepping into the place to provide mm-hmm. protection, yeah. you know, and that's what his love looks like. And he wants us to do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've talked before on Discover the Word about how when you look at these groups of people, the cultural setting for them is as a pastoral people, so connected to the land, yeah. and as a patriarchal culture, so connected to a family. And if you look at these three groups, they're not connected to the land and they're not connected to family. Mm-hmm. And so they are the most vulnerable mm-hmm. at their time and in their culture. That's good, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Don't you think though that there's maybe one other dimension because we've talked several times in these series of conversations about how all the Bible's telling the same story and that it's all moving someplace and the fatherless and the widows were a huge part of Jewish culture. But the fact that he includes foreigners, mm-hmm. isn't that just a hint forward? Right. And yeah. reminds them that they were foreigners. Yes, he yeah. connects it to their own mm-hmm. story. Yes, he connects it to their past and us to their future yeah. in that mm-hmm. sense. And that really brings us up to, you know, today and the fact that, you know, as believers, that call to love the vulnerable is still there. I think about one of my heroes in the faith, William Wilberforce. Oh, yeah who was the youngest parliamentarian in the UK when he was elected in that position and decided to focus his life's work on abolishing the slave trade in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, uh, with much strain and almost exerting so much, he almost died in the process. He ended up uh, achieving that goal. And he said, a private faith that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all. Hmm. And I think he's echoing this same sentiment of God calls us to love the vulnerable because when we do that, then we end up looking like God. Yeah, that should be our goal, right? To look more like God. And loving the vulnerable is a key to understanding God's heart. Thanks, Rasul. And thanks for being part of this discussion here on the Discover the Word podcast called What's love got to do with it? Uh, One more part of the discussion to go. And uh, can I ask you something? Have you ever done something for someone you love that if you didn't love them, you wouldn't even consider the possibility of doing that for one second? I know you have examples of this because we all go out of our way to do things that we don't necessarily like to do or want to do, but we do them because we love that parent, that sibling, that spouse, that child, that friend. And we're going to hear some examples from those in the Discover the Word group in a moment. I mean, love makes us do strange things sometimes. And Rasul leads off the examples with a great one after this word about what we'll be studying in our next podcast. Bill Crowder starts out our next Discover the Word podcast with this question. Okay, so what's the difference between being childlike as opposed to being childish? <laughs> Do you think that's a semantics question? Like, is there really a difference between childlike and childish? Or... I think there is. Okay. And that discussion will lead us into a study of Psalm 131. The whole difference between childish and childlike is something I'd like for us to explore Mm. in this series of conversations. We're going to do it through a psalm, but our entry into the psalm actually comes from the words of Jesus because he had some things to say about childlike. Now, we talk so much about spiritual growth and spiritual maturity and spiritual development and all those things. And Jesus says, 
wait a minute. Yeah. There's a piece here that you can't ever forget, and that's this piece of childlikeness. And so explore with the Discover the Word group next time, Psalm 131, a song of childlike faith. And now the conclusion of What's Love Got to Do With It on this Discover the Word podcast. You know, love can make you do some strange things. <laughs> you sound like you know that from experience. Yeah. I, there was a time when uh, my wife was in esthetician school, which mm-hmm. for those who don't know what that is, because I didn't, it's kind of like beauty, skin mm-hmm. types of things. She was studying to be an esthetician. And she was wrapping up, but in order to complete her studies, Mm -hmm. she needed to get a certain amount of waxings done. I know where this is going. (laughs) And she needed one more to go. And she said, babe, (laughs) I need you to come to the school. And I was like, oh, Oh my gosh. So she's waxing my eyebrows and I am howling. And I got to say, I had no idea, ladies, uh, what you guys go through on a regular basis. I was like, wow. And now I've not done it since, Mm -hmm. but I did it for love. Mm -hmm. How about you? Can you think about a time where you did something that you would never normally do, but you did it for love? Okay. First of all, I just want to say, I'm really glad I married a school teacher. (laughs) 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 You know, I think love, I'm going to related not so much to Marlene, my wife, but Mm -hmm. uh, to my grandkids. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you love your grandkids, you do all kinds of goofy stuff. And you don't Mm -hmm. care who's watching. Right. I mean, you'll entertain them. You'll play with them. You'll keep them occupied. Mm -hmm. Your grandkid likes it. That's all that matters. Absolutely. (laughs) I went there too, Bill. Um, But I was thinking about just a few nights ago, I had uh, our grandsons, one's 17 and the other one's six, (laughs) spend the night. And the 17-year-old sleeps through the night. Can I just say sleeps through the day and he sleeps through the next day? (laughs) (laughs) But the six-year-old will uh, wake up sometimes, and I'll find him standing by my bed at 3 in the morning and at 3.15 and at (laughs) 3.30. I just want to say, I choose over and over again to help him get back to bed and, you know, just to be patient. I keep thinking it's one night, it's one night, Mm -hmm. it's one night. So I'll do that for him. And And I think that's love, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think about times with friends that maybe you're tired or something, but a friend calls and they need to chat or something like that. And Mm -hmm. you... Like, okay, I'll take the call or Mm -hmm. or you call them or even go hang out with them on a night that you're tired. And um, typically hanging out with them is fun and easy, but it seems like a lot of times those hard conversations come on days where maybe you're tired or something. It reminds me of that story that Jesus tells about the friend who comes at like night. You want to go to the airport? Okay, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Oh, wait, you got to get there at 4 a.m.? Okay, sure. But we do it. And so as we wrap up this conversation about what's love got to do with it, you know, we got to end on a sense of how does it cause us to stretch us out of our comfort zones Mm. and even deal with the messiness of people. Mm -hmm. And someone who knows a lot about that and who knew a lot about that was the Apostle Paul, specifically as it related to uh, the churches he dealt with, but in particular, the Corinthian. (laughs) So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter five verses 11 through 15 and you guys can just kind of take turns reading that i'll start since then we know what it is to fear the lord we try to persuade others what we are is plain to god and i hope it's also plain to your conscience we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart If we're out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. Yeah. So once again, we kind of dropped in the midst of a thought in a moment. So let's paint the picture of Paul's relationship with the Corinthians in the context of this letter. What do we know about this? It was rocky. Mm -hmm. Paul had planted the church in Corinth. And if I recall, he had spent about a year and a half Mm -hmm. there. It was just a a relationship of turmoil. And by the time you get into 2 Corinthians, a lot of the letters spent with him defending his position as an apostle, even though he's the one who founded the church. Yeah. And so they are looking at him as suspect. Right. 
Which is so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like when your teenagers separate from you right. and you're going, do you know what I've done for you all your life? You yeah. know, I raised you and they're like, well, you're not so great. And they start telling you exactly what they think. It's yeah. tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some ways, I've always felt like First and Second Corinthians are some of the most accurate pictures of what church even today mm. is often like, because it just shows like it's not easy. Paul, especially in First Corinthians, deals with some really tough issues of people doing things that are not good. Yeah. <laughs> and Bill, as you mentioned in Second Corinthians, I'm guessing after they received the letter, the first letter, they're like, maybe we don't like this Paul guy as much anymore. We didn't like him much before. He, now we really don't yeah, like Yeah, because he's calling us out on <laughs> yeah. these things. And so now Paul feels like he has to even defend his relationship sure. with them. And it's just messy, but it feels so real. Yeah. It does feel real. And we see this a little bit in First Corinthians when some say they're Apollo, some say they're Peter. And and then, you know, just this aspect of, hey, you're not really a great communicator. You know, we don't really <laughs> respect you. You talk tough in these letters, but you come and you just don't mm-hmm. show a very impressive presentation. And so there are all these things. So he's referencing that and saying, look, I'm doing this for you. But the love of Christ compels me mm-hmm. like getting hot wax pulled off an eyebrow <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to sacrificially oh, share the gospel with them in spite of their rejection mm. anyone ever experienced trying to share the gospel with someone in spite of discomfort i think there's always a level of discomfort in there i mean just because culturally the minute you start speaking about jesus being the only way all of a sudden, people immediately can become very defensive, and mm-hmm. now, oh, okay, I've said something wrong. And valuable as it is, it just feels very awkward at yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting. You're thinking of that in what people might call evangelistic terms sure. of like sh- sharing the good news about Jesus for the first time with someone. Yeah. I immediately think of when I'm preparing sermons for all these people I care about and love mm-hmm. and I run across a passage, I know what I think the Holy Spirit wants us to talk about this week and it might be a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so just being willing to go there and that's really when I start praying those typical pastor prayers of like, Lord, let me get out of the way and you speak. But yeah. the other thing is just in the relationship, when you know you need to speak the truth in love, mm-hmm. like you need to not use that tone. That's mm-hmm. just not very kind to me. And I'm going to just stand up right now and say, I can't let you talk to me that way. Yeah. And so if you're going to use that tone, I just need to let you know in love, I can't, yeah. I can't stay in this conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's tough. Yes. Because what if they, well, I'll never talk to you again. Oh, wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the amazing thing of what Paul models here. Even though that he had so much conflict with the church at Corinth, when you read how he talks about it, you see the love ooze out. Mm-hmm. We are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that we can answer those who take pride in what we've seen. Like, we're doing this for you. And he says, Christ's love compels us. Mm-hmm. And so even though they were dismissive, even though they even mocked him, some did, of being out of his mind, that phrase, Christ love compels mm-hmm. you know, us to continue to move forward. And I mentioned earlier me putting myself in harm's way, but it was only because for (laughs) many years before that, my wife modeled that so many times for Uh me Mm -hmm. Uh, when we were still dating. I was in college. There was this uh, scenario. There was a guy who was somewhere between atheist and agnostic. And we would get into these philosophical conversations and me trying to share the gospel with them. Usually it was about two to three hours a pop to the point where literally I remember times when after on a date like with her she's dozing off in a chair while I'm talking to him Mm. at hour three and just listening and being patient but I experienced how she was supportive of me Mm. in that concept but Christ's love was compelling Mm -hmm. you know her to be patient with me me to share with uh, him and that love offers the opportunity for people so Paul is saying look we're convinced all have Mm -hmm. died Mm-hmm. All have been separated from God mm-hmm. and one died for all. Mm-hmm. That's incredible news. They don't mm-hmm. have to live mm-hmm. like that That's anymore. So mm-hmm. yeah. And so I can't just hold that to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? We, in one of the previous conversations, we talked about Exodus 34 <laughs> and the fact that God is love. He's merciful. He's forgiving. He's long suffering. Oh, yeah. And he's not going to overlook the problem stuff. He's not going to overlook the sin stuff. Yeah. And this mm-hmm. is the same kind of thing. Yeah. One of the aspects of love is that it really does care enough 
to kind of get in there and meddle with us a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, deal and with the hard stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. dealing with the hard stuff is part of what love does. And without that part of it, it's something less than love because it reverts into self-protection. That's good. Yeah, I really see that at the end of the letter because in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he tells them, examine yourselves to see whether you're living in the faith. Test yourselves. Mm. See if it's Christ that's in you. Mm -hmm. And then to your point, Rasul, all of that coming out of this heart of love, the letter ends with the love of God and peace be with you. Mm -hmm. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So it is out of this love that he has for them mm -hmm. that he's appealing to them. Yeah, we're called at the end of this chapter to be ambassadors, which means enduring the challenge of going into and traveling to foreign places, right? That's what ambassadors do out mm -hmm. of our comfort zone mm -hmm. in order to share the message of God's love with other people. And it doesn't necessarily have to be hard. It doesn't have to be super involved. It can be first as simple as just praying and asking God, who do you want me to pray for and to reach out to? And then asking someone else even, how can I be praying for you? Mm -hmm. You know, sharing your story, your own testimony, mm -hmm. listening to their story, inviting someone over mm -hmm. to dinner. These are just easy ways that we can mm -hmm. actually demonstrate for people. When they ask the question, what's love got to do with it? It's everything because God has shown us his love through Christ. But as Paul also said in Romans 10, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe on the one they've not heard? Mm -hmm. And how can they hear without someone preaching the message that God loves them? And while a lot of things we talked about in this episode may be somewhat out of our comfort zone, I mean, that's what love does. Often, because of love, we do things that we don't necessarily want or like to do, but we do them because that's what love has to do with it. It's been great to have you here with us for this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, What's Love Got to Do With It? With Rasul Berry, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. I encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. And thanks for remembering that Discover the Word is made possible by the gifts of friends like you. For more than 80 years, our Daily Bread Ministries, originally known as Radio Bible Class, has been telling the story of Jesus and focusing on making the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And you can become part of that mission by giving a gift of any amount to support Discover the Word. Simply visit our website at discovertheword.org. You'll see how to give there when you click on the Donate tab. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.